congregation of the Lord, and then particularly dear Decker family. Some of you may know that it was a tradition in the Netherlands that when a believer had passed away and was buried, that on the following Sunday, particularly the Sunday morning, the family would gather in the church to bring the grief into the church, or as it is said in Dutch, bring rauw in the kerk, to bring grief into the church. The preacher would then traditionally deliver a message that would be of some hope and some comfort and encouragement to the family. I hope to do the same thing this morning with you. The sermon that was often delivered was something to do with heaven and the place where the loved one has gone to be. Now again, I wish to do something similar as well this hour after the funeral of John Decker this past Thursday. Based on our Bible text passage, let me speak therefore to you with the hope of bringing some comfort and particularly to our dear sister Gerda and the Decker family about the blessings of heaven. The blessings of heaven. Now, congregation, I want to speak first of all then about the blessings of what I want to call selective forgetfulness. And I'll explain what that means, selective forgetfulness. We read in verse 17 of our text passage, Behold, and God is speaking here, he says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now, first of all, God says here, Behold, or you could also translate, behold me, look at what I am about to do, pay close attention to me, because I am going to do something that is equivalent, in fact, to the miracle of creation. I am creating a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this word, create, is the exact same word as it is found in Genesis 1, verse 1. Which means that God creates out of nothing that is by the sheer power of his word a place that will be perfectly new so that you could say that this place is, wow, tremendous, beyond your and my imagination altogether. Now, here then is a description of this place where all the saved will dwell after they have passed out of this life. It is the same idea that is remembered, that is, uh, that we read, for instance, in Revelation 21, the verses 1 through 4. And let me read that for you for a moment. And there it says in Revelation 21, 1 through 4, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And in fact, it says in the original, God will wipe away every tear out of their eyes so that there will never be any more weeping or crying. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That is what we read then in Revelation 21 about the new heaven and the new earth. Now, in our text passage there is some striking information given to us about heaven and about those who presently dwell in heaven with the Lord. The former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. This means that the former heaven and the former earth and the former life upon this earth will not be remembered by those who have gone to heaven. In other words, those in heaven will be actually blessed with a sense of what I want to call selective forgetfulness. And what I mean by that is that God will select, as it were, what we may forget and what we may still remember. And what we may forget, and God will arrange it in such a way, we will not forget any of the sad things that have happened in this world with us or with our family. We will not remember any of the bad things that we have done in this life on earth. We will not remember anything that grieves or that makes us sad or sorrow. All of that will be totally forgotten. But it is selective because there are certain things that we will remember. And that is, first of all, what Jesus Christ has done for us what Jesus Christ has died for, what Jesus Christ has rose, risen again from the dead, what Jesus Christ is up in heaven for us today, we will remember that. And it will be a remembrance of thankfulness. Lord Jesus, what you have done is tremendous. And so, selective forgetfulness. Now, let me just look at the things for a moment, what we will not remember anymore. For we will not remember the former things, that is, the sorrow, the pain, the weakness, the fears, the struggles, the conditions that, that caused us to weep. None of that will ever come to mind anymore as we are with the Lord. By the way, not only will that be a blessed forgetfulness for you or for me or for those who have gone to be with the Lord, but we are told that God himself, as he tells us in Jeremiah 31, 34, I will remember their sins no more. God will also lay it aside on purpose. He will not remember those sins of ours anymore. And so the blessings then of selective forgetfulness. And what a blessing this must be, especially for those who have gone to be with the Lord, dear people. We here on earth, oh, we miss them, don't we? We cannot get them out of our mind. It is hard to forget them. In fact, I know that for some of you, you will even feel guilty if there is a moment that you don't think of them. 
if you would forget them for an hour or forget them for, an, for a day, you would, actually, you would actually feel guilty about that. Well, don't feel guilty about it. Because the Lord is working with His Word and Spirit so that gradually the pain will be gone. But now, heaven is, is totally different. It is a place where the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. And so, heaven is therefore a place where believers may enjoy the blessings of selective forgetfulness. Now, then I want to say something about the blessings of gladness and of rejoicing. Now, it is true that if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can at times in this life already experience some of the joy, some of the, uh, the, uh, the expressions of, of joy that, that come out in the heart and that comes across the lips at times as well. You will have joy, therefore, in worshiping the Lord God. And there will be times when you, when you experience that joy even in the singing and praising of His name and speaking about Him. No doubt. And I trust that joy will also return to you, dear Decker family. You will no doubt be able to say at times with joy and gladness in my soul, I hear the call to prayer as we have been able to sing it already from Psalter number 348. But here... In this life and on this earth, our joy and our gladness, it is mixed with sorrow and with sadness, isn't it? It is not yet perfect joy, is it? But joy will be perfect in heaven. In fact, it says in our text that God will actually create Jerusalem, and what he means by Jerusalem, that is his church triumphant, that is those who are with him in heaven, God will create for them a rejoicing and make his people joy, make his people a joy even. In other words, those who are presently in heaven are not only able to joy and rejoice, but in some sense of the meaning, they are rejoicing personified. It is all joy with them, you see. Everything about them is joy and thankfulness and gladness. God will create them this way. God will make them in that way, you see, so that there be no more weeping, no more crying, absolutely, and it will be totally foreign to them that there be sadness. It will be foreign to them. And not only that, but God says, and we are told here in verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. So the joy and gladness in heaven is mutual. God is a joy to his people, and his people are a joy to God. And along with this joy, there is also then the joy that the angel will express as well as they surround the saved with sounds of singing and of praise, mostly for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done to give such joy in heaven. Revelation 19, and again I want to go to Revelation for a moment, but Revelation 19 sort of opens the door to heaven a little bit for us. And if we listen carefully, we can hear some of that joy, as it were, in the far distance. Even as the Apostle John heard it, and he tells us, 
And after these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Revelation 19 verse 1. Oh, to be there. To be there someday. And to have your perfected voice blend in with those perfect voices of that mass choir. It will be more glorious than when the angels sang above Ephratas fields. And we have heard about that at Christmas Day. And I hope to hear something about it this afternoon as well. You know, someone once said <clears throat> that when the redeemed in heaven lift up their voices to the praise of God, the angels will fall silent in absolute awe for their song of faith. Now you might ask, well, how so? Why will the angels stand in absolute awe when the believers begin to sing? Well, it is because the angels cannot sing what is recorded for us in Revelation 5, verse 9, for instance. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations. The angels cannot sing that. They are not the redeemed as such who have been bought by the blood of Christ. They've always been perfect already. So, in heaven, the angels, as this particular author says, will fall silent and listen in awe. But the believers will be singing to the praises of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Another thing I want to speak of is the blessings of rewarding work. We read in verse 20, among other things, there we are told that everyone in heaven will be in the strength of his life or her life. The infant will be like a grown-up. The old man will be in the strength of his youth. And by the way, totally opposite for those who are in hell. But that's another matter yet. No one in heaven is too young or too old. It will be like the Garden of Eden again. But then much better yet, dear people. One may have died as a child one time. One may have died old and worn out. But in heaven, they are all in the strength of their life, even graced with youthful vigor. And why? You might ask, why? Because they will be at work. Or, and it's not labor, but they will be doing things and they will see the reward of the things that they will be doing then. Now, we do not know what kind of work that will be. Definitely, it will not be labor. But they will be doing things, and we do not quite know what that will be. But we do get some hints about it. We know, for instance, that the talents and the gifts that once belonged to the unconverted in this world, and who are presently condemned in hell already, that their talents will be given to those who are in heaven. You can read of that, for instance, in Matthew 25, verse 28, and the following, what Jesus himself says. Therefore, he says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. 
For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, with added talents, the saved in heaven are happily busy doing what brings the most glory to God and the most satisfaction to themselves. Again, what precisely they will be doing that is left up for you and for me to look forward to. One of those activities will certainly be ruling with the Lord Jesus Christ. But beyond that, who knows? Who knows? One thing that we are told is that what we will be doing will not be in vain. And we get a message here in our text passage about that as well. What we will be doing and the product of our work will be enjoyed and it will be rewarding. Now, for the people in Isaiah's days, this obviously was good news because the work that they did at that time was often in vain and it was often unrewarding. They would build a house for themselves and they would get chased away by the enemies. They would cultivate their vineyards and they would get chased away by the enemies so that the enemies would have the fruit of their work. Not so in heaven. In heaven, the redeemed are enjoying the blessings of rewarding work, if I may say it that way. Another thing, the blessings of renewed acquaintance. You know, it is sometimes said, will I see my loved ones in heaven who have gone to be there with the Lord? Will I see them again? Now, the answer to this question needs a little bit of explanation. Our desires for heaven should concentrate on our desires after Christ in the first place. First and foremost, that we would see Christ and his beauty. The Apostle Paul, after all, he expressed this desire to depart and to be with Christ as he said this. Therefore, nothing should be as precious as to behold the glory of God upon the face of Jesus Christ. Nothing should be so desirable, nothing should fill us with so much longing as to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, which the Apostle Paul says is by far the best. And as we think of it, especially as we get a bit older, oh, to see him in his glory, to see the glow of love on this dear face of Jesus Christ, to see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet, whereby he was held on that terrible cross of sacrifice for a sinner like me and you. To see the wound on his side, which testifies that he gave his life for you and for me. And to see all of this will be the greatest sight that anyone would ever want to see, dear people. And especially you, whom the Lord has taken a loved one home. 
and who is now in heaven. This is the sight that they may now presently enjoy. It's the wonderful sight of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who has ushered him into heaven. As the Lord Jesus Christ once said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But now, what about our loved ones who have gone before us? Will there be recognition, you might ask? Will they recognize you? And will you recognize them? Well, of course, this will increase the joy that is in heaven, isn't it? So why should this joy be kept from us? But I have more proof that this is indeed true. Our text passage in verse 23 speaks in prophecy about descendants and offspring. In other words, family members and children. We will not be strangers to each other. Not at all. The ties of husband and wife, of parents and children, yes, it will be different. But the ties of love will always be there. In fact, it will then be perfect love towards one another. If Jesus Christ pictured the joy of heaven under the symbolism of a banquet where all will be sitting with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, surely we will recognize, ah, there is Abram, there is Isaac, and there is Jacob, there is Paul, there is John, there is Dad, there is Grandpa. If so, we will recognize them, the loved ones who have gone to be with Christ. I believe we surely will. And I have some more proof of that as well, because I read the commentary of William Hendrickson, a, a well-known uh, Bible commentator, and um, he's well-known in Reformed circles. And I, I, I just want to quote what he has written about this. So bear with me. The sick whom we have visited, the bereaved with whom we have sympathized, the heathen for whom we have been instruments unto salvation, will, as it were, be standing in the vestibule of heaven in order to receive their benefactors into their circle so as together to glorify the one who is the source of every blessing, this surely implies recognition and resumption of fellowship. So far, William Hendrickson. We may therefore feel certain, dear people, that in heaven there are the blessings of recognition. Another thing, the blessings of God's communication. Now, we know that God communicates with us even today, even this hour. Through his word, God speaks to us, doesn't he? But it seems that while we are still here upon this earth, the lines of communication are not always as they should be. The bad connection, the bad lines lie with us, not with God. Sometimes we do not respond to God's word as quickly as we should if we respond at all. Sometimes we pray to God and we pray long and hard, but it seems that he doesn't hear because we 
it doesn't seem that we're getting any word back from him. Of course, we do know that God does hear and that he does answer prayer, but not always in the way we would like it, but in the way that is best for us, he will answer. But in heaven, dear people, communication with God are, if I may say, quite unusual. Let me explain. There, it happens, so we are told in our text passage, verse 24, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, that's what God says, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. In heaven, communication with God is so direct and it is so intimate that God answers to our thoughts before we can express those thoughts. And God is all ears, so to speak, while we speak with him. Perhaps I can give you a simple example. In this life, there are two people who are deeply in love with each other. They do not always need to speak to each other about their love for each other. They know what the other one is thinking, and they know what the other one is about to say, if he or she wants to say it, even before it is said. This is because they love one another, and they know each other so well. Well, now, this is the idea that is conveyed to us here in our text passage as well. Because the Lord knows his people, you see. And he knows them so well. And he loves them so deeply. And they know him so well. And they love him so deeply. So that communication is rather unusual. It is different. He speaks before a question is asked. And he answers while the question is still pondering in our hearts. This is why we are told, because before they call, I will answer. In other words, in heaven, the redeemed have the answer before they can even ask the question. Their communication with the Lord is always direct, always unrestricted. No bad connections at any time in heaven are the blessings of God's communication. One more thing. The blessings of perfect peace. And there, people, the picture is unforgettable. Verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now, need to understand, this is pure symbolism. Pure symbolism to the highest degree. And it conveys a message to us of perfect peace and of perfect justice as well. That which threatens us on this earth, which are a threat to our safety and to our protection and peace, cannot possibly be a threat to us in heaven. The point here is not if the new creation will have animals in it. And by the way, anything is possible with God. And you can be sure that if it is so, they will be the sweetest and the most 
peaceful animals around. But the point here is that heaven is a place of such perfect peace that whatever you meet with there is perfectly safe, tranquil, friendly, loving, and peaceful. There will be nothing there and there will be no one there that could possibly hurt or destroy this kind of tranquility. Therefore, we are also told in Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 that there will be a category of people who will not be able to get into heaven even. When it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Which means, of course, that heaven is completely closed and shut to them because heaven is a place of blessed, perfect peace and safety. Now, dear people, this was a sermon about heaven. It's a brief description of what heaven is like and that particularly through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah. Through Jesus Christ, this prophecy has been fulfilled and will be fulfilled again and again as you trust in Jesus Christ. You will find heaven to be more wonderful than what I, with some poor words, have been trying to describe for you this morning. Those who have gone to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have departed from you to be with Christ, are presently enjoying those blessings and much, much more than that. And we can even imagine. May your thoughts and may your meditations, therefore, give you some comfort in your loss. May it stir you to look up and away from this world and make you long also to be with the Lord Jesus Christ as well and to enjoy the blessings of heaven one day with your loved ones. Live every day in preparation for your departure and for your entrance into heaven. With Christ's help, therefore, live a holy life, a life that is lived in the glow of heaven. And so, my dear unconverted and yet unbelieving friend, you too have heard something of heaven this morning and what heaven is like. Has it stirred you? Has it stirred a desire in you to know more about this place? Has it caught your attention, perhaps, because... It is so different from this present life, isn't it? And from this present world. Would you not like to explore in more detail what Jesus Christ has to offer in this afterlife? Your afterlife? It cannot be wrong, can it? To take seriously what the Bible says about entrance requirements to heaven. You've heard it. You don't have to be a murderer or an adulterer or a drunkard or a liar to find heaven doors closed. Even an unbeliever will not get in. God has assigned another place for them, 
You wouldn't want to go there, would you? Doesn't heaven sound attractive for your afterlife? Please consider this very seriously, as you have heard at this hour. You see, Jesus Christ is most willing to receive you and give you access to heaven. You'll have to let go of your sins. You will have to repent of them. You will have to place them confessingly in those nail-pierced hands of Jesus Christ, trusting that He will do what is necessary. And so, my friend, do not hasten, do not hesitate, rather, to do so, because it will be worth it. Staying in sin is such a poor option if heaven is made available to you. Sin only gives momentary pleasure, but heaven provides eternal pleasure. Sin causes hurt, but in heaven there is no hurt. Sin produces tears, but in heaven all tears are taken right out of your eyes. Sin stirs hate and anger, but heaven is a place of love. Sin calls for the curse of God, but heaven, it is the perfect blessedness of God itself. Therefore, let us leave sin and let us flee to Christ even at this hour yet. And then when your day, when your hour, when your minute of death arise for you, your heart will long to depart and to be with Christ, which is by far best, by far best, because where Christ is, 